Think I wouldn't hear that? Come on, man. <laughs> it's good to see everybody here this morning. If you're visiting, stick around so we can get to know you a little better if you haven't already. Fill out one of those cards that's on the back of the pew in front of you so we can have a record of your attendance. We'd love to sit and chat with you. Got a few things to talk about before we get into the lesson. You know, it's always a good sign of a healthy church when there's stuff going on. And this isn't just vain stuff, meaningless stuff. Stuff that we do because there's nothing better to do, but just stuff that we do because we enjoy doing it and we enjoy doing it together. So I wanted to remind you, if you had not already figured it out, today is egg hunt day. If you're a baby through fifth grade, you get to hunt for eggs. Sorry, kids. The teenager's like, man... I don't get to hunt for eggs. I don't get free candy. Talk to your parents. They'll give you free candy, I think. Anyway, that's after service. Pizza and drinks are going to be served. If you've seen the fellowship hall, it's all decorated and fancied out for everything. So I encourage you to stick around for that. Uh, Also, since it is, we get into this Easter week, I wanted to remind you guys, understand the opportunities that we have this time of year. This, This is one of two times where most people are completely happy and in understanding to talk about Jesus. It's Easter. People are expecting to be talking about Jesus. Let's be using this as an opportunity to tell the truth about who our Lord is. We need not to be running away from anything that maybe just because it's a holiday that we look at it and go, ah, I can't talk about Jesus during the holiday. No, you can. He gave you permission because he did it himself in his own ministry. So use this opportunity to talk about him. Next week, we'll be talking about uh, the importance of the resurrection with the lesson titled, Nobody Loves You Like Jesus. And we're going to forego having the kingdom kids go upstairs. We're going to put them on the front pew, and we're going to have some fun with the kids during this time also. Maybe learn something as adults as we get into it. As we look at the upcoming calendar things, April 21st, mark your calendar, 7 to 8 p.m., singing at the foldings. Cleanup day at Camp Red Oak Springs on April 23rd. You need to talk to Nick Melanso about that and find out what's going on so you can help prepare the campground for summer camp. May 13th, cookout at the Foldings. And as always, I'll provide the meat. You provide the buns and the chairs to put them in. Okay, RSVP to me so I know how much meat to provide. I do not care about sides or vegetables. My wife does. So if you are interested in bringing those things, you can tell her those things. You tell me if you're coming, I'll give you meat. And finally, actually second to finally, I gave you guys the wrong scripture reference in Bible class this morning. I apologize. I said Luke 11. It's Luke 12 that we're going to be covering next week, 13 through 21, that parable there. I apologize for that. That was me not thinking. And before we get into lesson, do we know how blessed we are as a body? Do we actually sit down and think, and meditate and be thankful to God for how blessed we are as a body, that the preacher was gone for about a month. And we had men who were willing to step in, fill the role in Bible class. I'm thankful to Otis and Chris for stepping in and teaching Bible classes while we were out of town. I'm extremely thankful to Brian and Hunter for the work that they did in the pulpit on those Sundays that we were out of town. What a blessing to be able to hear somebody else's voice. Butch, you're not supposed to amen that loud. And they did phenomenal work presenting the word to us and the truth that is out there. It's a blessing to have men who are willing to step up 
and do those things. And I appreciate it. I really do, guys. Uh, and if you are looking for those opportunities and wanting to step into those roles the next time the preacher's out of town next year, we can fit you in uh, to do those things for us. Open up your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. It's always a difficult thing to be going through a series and then be gone for a few weeks, and you got to go back and do some heavy review on everything that we've talked about leading up to the text that we're going to find ourselves in. And last time we talked from 2 Peter, yeah, we talked about cake. And the reason we talked about cake is because everybody likes cake and everybody understands cake. And those, that section of scripture that we looked at was verses 5 through 11 in talking about how this is supposed to be viewed as a whole picture. This is a big idea that Peter is presenting to us, that we are fulfilling each of those things that's listed there because we carry about in our mind the importance of the memory of what God has done for us. Uh, and these are the ideas that Peter is going to continue off of in our text this morning as he starts and he continues this idea of reminders and memory and how important it is to use our brains when we are actively engaged in Christianity. Now, I know a lot of people in this world will say that being a Christian is a fairly brainless thing to do. I completely disagree. We're expected to be thinking about these things. We're expected to be reasoning through these things. That this isn't something that we do blindly, but actually following the examples, the proofs, all of those things that are out there is why we engage in this thing we call Christianity. And the most dangerous people in the world are the people who are wrong, but think that they are right. You ever met somebody like that? You, you meet somebody, they're dead wrong. You know they're wrong. And everybody else thinks they're wrong too and knows that they're wrong. But they are convinced in their own minds that they're right. And they create all sorts of problems for everybody. And this is a universal truth. Everybody knows this. You know how I know that? Tony Stark. He is the true villain of the Avengers movies because everything he did, thinking he was right, was wrong. And he created problems for everybody. But he was so convinced he was right and so egotistical, he created problems for everyone that he came into contact with. This is where Peter is going to pick up the idea that there are people that we are going to have to engage with in this world who are wrong, but they are convinced that they're right. And it doesn't matter you still have to move forward being who you are, reminding us that we know what truth is and that we can't escape truth, okay? And that the reason that these qualities are missing from those individuals, the ones that we talked about in the cake, is because in their wrongness, they have forgotten purification from sin. And so he stresses how important it is to never forget where we were, where we came from, and who we are. When you think of a credible person, who do you think of? Right? Do you think of the Hulk? The credible Hulk, he's always fighting for justice with facts and figures. But if we were to define the word credible, let's keep it simple. I like keeping things simple when we start making definitions. But let's define the word credible as simply meaning to be able to be believed. It's convincing. Okay, that means it's credible. Uh, there's a blog out there called Incredible Messages. Bonnie Budzowski is the author of it. And she says that there's five elements that make a person credible in the things that they say and do. The first is integrity. 
And I think we understand what integrity is, right? Integrity just simply means being the same all the way through. Okay, you think of a piece of wood has integrity. It's the same density from the outside to the inside. That's what integrity means. Then she says competence. Not only are they the same all the way through, they actually know what they're talking about. They're competent in the subject material. They have sound judgment. Okay, they, they know what they're talking about and they are actually level-headed in their approach to things. They, they're able to execute sound judgment. They are relationally sensitive. Okay, and we're not talking like major pain relationally sensitive here, but someone who understands how to deal with people where they're at along with the other things, and this is probably the one that we will struggle with the most, they're likable. To be credible, you have to be likable. And Peter is going to base all of this that we're about to read. I'm just getting you set up for this. Peter is going to base all of his future arguments on his credibility as a witness. Okay? And we have to understand why Peter is credible. And what's interesting to me is that when you think of Peter, like if you were, if I said Peter, what do you think about when I say the name Peter? How many of us think about how many times that dude opened his mouth and made a fool of himself? How many of us think about Peter's failures? Because when you look at it, the story of Peter is actually filled with failure. Is the story of Peter's life filled with sin? Peter got a sin issue that had to be dealt with? Yeah. And we think about those things, right? Often, we don't often think he's only one of two guys that ever walked on water, right? We don't think about the good that he's done, but often what comes to mind is the negatives in Peter. And this is important for us to understand because when we start talking about Jesus and we start living for Jesus, the first thing that people are going to notice is what? All of the negatives, all of the things that they knew about us that were bad. And then we will begin to think, well, then I have no credibility because I did X on this day at this time. And that's not what makes us credible or incredible. It is not sin. It is not the mistakes. It's not the issues that Peter has that he relies on to say, this is why I'm credible. This is why you should believe me. It's not that at all. So let's not get fooled in our thinking. And Satan will do this to us to say, you cannot be a credible witness on anything because you have sin in your past. It doesn't work like that. And that's what Peter is teaching us in this text. Okay? What makes him a credible witness is not his sins, but his reliance on truth. And that's where we get into the text of <clears throat> 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's start together in verse 12. Therefore, remember anytime we read therefore that we have to tie everything that we've read previously into that. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in truth, which is present in you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made by him, by the majest, to him, excuse me, by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophet, we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So understand, Peter presents this story And he says, listen, guys, I'm going to remind you of the things I just told you. I'm going to remind you of some other things of which you already know because the truth is present in you. And when I'm dead and gone, you're going to be able to remember it again. I need you to continually remind yourselves of these things because it is vital to our lives. And the lifestyle of credibility that Peter brings to us is based on firsthand experience. Eyewitnessing these things, that the power and coming that he is talking about is not some future coming of the Lord, but the actual incarnation. His walking with the man Jesus, those three years that Jesus was living and operating on this earth, okay? Specifically here, if we didn't pick up on it from the text, Peter is referring to the Mount Mount of Transfiguration story, where he is up on the mountain, We see it in Matthew's account and Mark's account and Luke's account. We have Peter, James, and John. They go with Jesus onto this high mountain. They're up there. Jesus is transfigured, whiter than any white that's out there. Bleach can't get us that white. They hear the voice of God. And God says, this is my son, Peter. Shut up and listen to him, right? Because we've got Elijah and Moses standing there with Jesus, and Peter, being Peter, says, Whew, it's good for us to be here. Let's build three tabernacles. Right? And God corrects Peter's thinking. They fall on their face because that's what you do when God speaks. And they heard God speak. And remember what Jesus had told them when they were on the way down the mountain? Remember, do you guys remember? He had said, tell no one about this. This stays between us. And it was not until after Jesus is raised from the dead that they are allowed to tell this story. Okay? And apparently, this story is well known in the Christian community of the first century. And and think about it. Matthew, Mark, and Luke's gospel accounts have already been written. They've already been passed around and disseminated prior to Peter writing this letter, so that story would be available for people to read. And it would appear that Peter, following his MO, because he is in a habit, by the way, of speaking and talking about what he has witnessed. We can see that in Acts chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 10, just for three examples of Peter not willing to keep his mouth shut about what he has seen and experienced. Apparently, this is one of Peter's favorite stories to tell. This is something that he talks about a lot. If he's unwilling to let us forget about it in a letter, do you really think he's going to be unwilling to let us forget about it in person? He's going to talk about these things. And it's this witness that's the catalyst that God is actually going to use to expand the kingdom. How is it that the kingdom grew the way that it did in the book of Acts? 
if it wasn't for men and women going out and actually telling people what they saw and experienced. Let's ask another really mind-provoking question here. How is it that anyone is going to know the truth of what Jesus has accomplished for you if you don't talk about what you have experienced? We're meant to tell people these stories. And we're not meant to just be comfortable sitting back and going, oh man, it's been 2,000 years. They know the story. Really? You ever talk to anybody lately that's not a member of, the, of a church somewhere? Or even a member of the church somewhere? People don't know these stories. And Peter says, I'm the eyewitness. I'm reminding you of these things. You are also witnesses because you have experienced these things. And now you have a choice. The choice is, you can either choose to believe the eyewitness accounts that Peter and the other apostles are presenting, or just follow cleverly devised tales. Right? Isn't that what he says there? Because he says, we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus. We weren't making this stuff up when we talked about Jesus' life and ministry on this earth, guys. This is the real deal. It really happened. And your translation may differ from what I'm reading in the New American Standard on cleverly devised tales. You're, it may say stories, it may say myth, it may say, may say fable. It doesn't matter because they're all describing the same thing. Something that seems right and true, but after further investigation, you understand that it's actually false. It's not real. It's not talking about a real person. Because here's the deal, guys. The minute that we put the story of Jesus into the category of mythology, he's not real. And if he's not real, then your salvation isn't real either. So we're left with the choice. We either accept the truth of what witnesses have told us or we follow myths and fables. And myths are referred to several times in the scriptures. And none of them are positive. All right, when Paul is writing to Timothy and Titus, one of his main points of instruction to those two boys was that you don't get involved with stupid myths and arguments and debates and genealogies. You don't participate in those things because they're worthless. Or in Colossians chapter 2, right? Paul's writing to the church in Colossae. He says, if you've died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, <coughs> why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit to yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commands and teachings of men? These are matters which have, and this, if this isn't underlined, you should. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Notice what Paul is saying here. We engage in these types of debates and these types of stories and we start believing these things. Guess what it will never do? It will never motivate and provide the power for us against our own selfish, fleshly, sinful desires. In fact, it does the exact opposite. It feeds them. 
And the point that Paul is making, the point that Peter is making for us is that any teaching, any myth, any fable, any story, any tale that is based on something that is perishing is not to be paid attention to. These myths are in direct opposition to truth. And we know this. We know this because of how Peter uses prophecy. Right? You go back into the text and he says, we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns, morning star arises. Know this, no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Okay, prophecy can be a little bit confusing, so let's break this down real quick. It can mean two things. Prophecy can mean two things. It can either mean foretelling. That means something that happens is going to happen in the future, and I'm telling you about it now, so that when it comes to pass, you understand I was speaking truth. This is one of the tests that God had put on prophets in the Old Testament, right? That if a man uh, comes out and he, he gives a prophecy and it does not come to pass, the nation of Israel was told they were to take him outside the camp and throw rocks at him until he was dead because he was not speaking the word of the Lord. But if it did come to pass, he was verified as a prophet. That's foretelling, right? That's one definition of prophecy. The other definition of prophecy is foretelling. That's with a TH, okay? That just simply means that I'm coming to you and I'm speaking truth from God as it exists right now. Peter telling the story of the transfiguration is not foretelling, it is forthtelling. He's saying what has happened and is happening based off of that truth, okay? And here, that's what he's doing. It is a declaration of the purpose of God. Now, God can, can declare his purposes in a lot of different ways, right? He can do it in rebuke. He could do it as admonishment and comfort, revelation of hidden truth, whatever. But Peter's point in all of this is that myths are made up by men with selfish desires. God's story is truth because it is unselfish. You notice the difference? Why did Jesus come to the earth? To seek and save that which was lost. Why? Because of his great love for us, he did these things. So we can understand, we have, the, we have the capability to understand what is a myth and what is truth based on what type of desire does it fulfill. And is it from the will of God or not? Or is it from the will of the man who speaks it. And we'll deal with that in a couple of weeks because we won't have time to get into it this morning. But understand something, guys. Information is everywhere. And I'm not just talking about because we have the internet. Okay? Information has always been, always will be everywhere, and we can get it from anywhere. And our reading this morning is really just a great example of how information gets passed around, right? Paul shows up in town. He begins preaching Jesus in the synagogue to the God-fearing to the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he's doing all of this work, and some philosophers hear about it, and they're like, man, there's some kind of strange teaching going on over there. Let's get this guy to come in and actually 
tell us what his teaching is on this because they used to just sit around all day hoping for something new. Now, they didn't want the new information because they were going to act on it. They just wanted the new information so that they could have something new to talk about. And this is how information was passed. Word of mouth. It's how it, 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 was, it was done throughout that whole time from person to person to person. And often, we will believe or disbelieve someone based on who it is that's speaking. And if you're sitting here saying, oh, I don't agree with that, I'm going to call you a liar right now. Because I guarantee you, the minute certain people in a certain political party, I don't care which one it is, get up and start talking, you will automatically either believe or disbelieve them based on the letter behind their name. Am I right or wrong? We assign whether or not they are a credible individual before they even start talking. Plato said this, whereas you seem to consider not whether a thing is or is not true, but who the speaker is and from what country the tale comes from. Peter says, you believe the story because it's true, or you disbelieve the story because you bought into myth. Believe the eyewitness or believe someone else, but at least consider the source, not the man. Consider the motivation behind the man. Why is he telling you what he is telling you? Peter is not some lobbyist for the lumber industry trying to open up national land for logging, okay? That's not his motivation on it. What Peter wants is people to understand the truth of Jesus and come to know him personally. And that's why he tells the story. That's why he tells us what he saw. So I'll leave you with a question this morning. Can you be a credible witness for Christ with all of your failure? Can we be credible witnesses for Christ with all of our failures? Or are we more interested in are we more interested in Passing off the gospel for personal gain. Or do we understand that it's because of our failures we actually become the most credible witnesses on the planet for the gospel? Because if I'm going to boast in anything, to quote a guy you've probably read, if I'm going to boast in anything, I will boast in Jesus Christ. Because in boasting in Jesus Christ, you understand what we're doing when we do that, right? We're actually boasting about what he has done for us and what he can do for others. That's not selfish. That's not out of the will of men. That's not a fable and that's not a tale. That's out of straight love and compassion for our fellow men. 
And that is what Peter wants us to understand because we'll get into it in a few weeks, Lord willing. There are unscrupulous men and women out there who don't care one bit about the salvation of their neighbor. The question that we have to answer is, do we? And if we do, what does that look like when we actually start living it? How does that change us? How does it change how we talk? How does that change our behaviors? And not only does that, how does that change us? How does that change the world that we find ourselves living in right now? Peter wasn't telling a made-up story, guys. He wasn't talking about someone that never existed on the face of the planet. He was talking about a real man with a real mission. And that mission was to save me. Because everybody else in the room is perfect. I know I'm not. And I needed Jesus. And that's why he came. You may find yourself in that same category where you think everybody else is perfect but you. And that's okay. Because you're probably right. You needed him too. Same as I needed him. But it's not our failure that makes us unbelievable. It's our failure that makes us credible doesn't make us a hypocrite. It makes us believable. And anything else is a lie from the enemy. We're going to stand and sing a song that Brian has for us. Uh, time for invitation, opportunity for encouragement uh, for the body of believers here and also for anyone that's visiting with us. You may find yourself in a position this morning where you understand what truth is and you understand what the truth is and how it affects you and what God is calling you to do that you understand that Jesus came to this earth as a real individual, a real person, God in flesh, guys, showing us how far we've fallen away from what God had intended for us and that the only way back to a relationship with him was through his blood and his final sacrifice on the cross, that he was nailed, he was put to death, he was buried, he was raised, he ascended, he sits at the right hand and you're ready to make the confession of him as Lord, to put him on in baptism and to live for him, to make it your sole intention to live for him for the rest of your life. This is the time to put him on in baptism. This is the time to make that confession. And maybe you made the confession already, and maybe it's been years and years and years, and you find yourself struggling and really just fighting temptations and just having a hard time and hard go of it. Why do you think everybody is sitting here this morning if not to help and support and encourage and pray for you that's why we're here. But it's got to be shared. It's one of the things that God calls us to. If we can do anything for you this morning, I encourage you, the elders encourage you to come forward, make it known while we stand and sing.